Imagine getting to speak around the world, meeting the most successful, positive leaders, and then getting to choose from that group. That's what this leadership podcast is all about, learning from the best, how to be your best, so that we can challenge ourselves to lead with purpose, impacting lives and changing communities. I'm so glad you're part of this leadership podcast, where together we learn, lead, and leave a lasting legacy. Welcome to Garage to Goliath. I'm Dan Quiggle, and I'm honored to have Dale Robinette joining us today. Dale holds 25 years of experience in helping companies grow to new heights and excel in their fields. He got his start through serving in the U.S. Navy as an electronic warfare technician, where he gained invaluable experience in the field of technology. After serving four years, he attained a degree in business with an emphasis in marketing and was quickly picked up by industry giant Tyco, where he then became the leading salesperson out of 500 others. His career has been spent climbing ladders at incredible speeds and bringing any company he touches to incredible growth and success. Dale then pivoted to becoming a Vistage chair with a desire to help other CEOs and teams reach new heights. He then went on to start Epic, the leading website for satellite industry companies to promote their products and services. We're privileged to be able to hear from Dale today. Dale, thank you so much for joining us. So personally, you know I'm a huge fan of yours and your family. Uh, likewise, likewise. <laughs> but you are without a doubt extremely successful. When you first started out, was your goal to be at this level? Like, did you know where you wanted to be? Or is this success a side effect of you putting your head down and going all in? I don't think anybody, when they start out, knows where they're going to end up, right? And so, yeah, it's just it's a it's an interesting question. I grew up in a really rural area in Upper Michigan. My hometown had, I'm going to exaggerate and say, 200 people. And so the idea of any level of success was always something that was kind of fleeting. So, no, I didn't. I had no idea where I was going to be. I was always very driven. And it's interesting, a lot of the kids in my area, in my class, so I went K through 12 with the same 90 kids. So we had one kid that left and one kid that came in. Wow. Yeah. And so, but it's interesting when I look at some of the, some of the successes of kids that, you know, kind of made it out of that type of an environment, you know, the, a lot of them did really well. And uh, so, no, for me, it was just, I was very driven uh, as a young person, I was very competitive. Um, and so that's, that was just something, you know, it is about working hard and putting your head down and trying to figure out the next steps. And, you know, life is about options and you just make a ton of them and hopefully you make more right than wrong. So that's all. So one of those options was ending up in the Navy. How did that happen? So I had two brothers that went in the Navy. They're four and five years older than me. So they had already actually gotten out uh, by the time I went in. And so it was something that I, I actually investigated and I had taken the classes or taken the tests, I guess, and, uh, and physical. And I ended up, I went to school for one year for what I thought was electrical engineering. And six months in, I found out that uh, and it was at a local junior college. And I found out that I wasn't actually in uh, like a electrical engineering course. It was more of like a two-year technical school. And, you know, you meet some kids in the class and at the semester break, a kid called me up and he said, hey, you need to get out of that program. And I said, why? And he says, well, they're right. The units would transfer. So we'd transfer to University of Michigan, 
but he said they don't apply. So we were in more of like a technical school and we should have been taking, we were taking like troubleshooting and things like that. We should have been taking physics and calculus and these other classes. So that was a big determination for me. So then I just didn't have enough money to go straight to University of Michigan. So I ended up joining the Navy. And, so and and you know so thank you for your service. Appreciate that <laughs> as a patriot. I I love that. Thank you. you know, but having gotten your start in the U.S. Navy, what experiences did you gain from that time of service? Um, yeah, that helps you to excel today. You know, it's it's unbelievable what the Navy does for you in the sense of training. First of all. You know, I was only in for four years. I went in enlisted. Uh, in hindsight, had I known, I didn't know about ROTC, R-O-T-C. I would have gone in ROTC and then went in as an officer. And, and instead, I reversed it. So I went in enlisted and I came out and went to school. And uh, But, you know, I was in for four years. They trained me for one. Which to me is, you know, and the same was true as you advanced in, as I advanced in my career, you know, the bigger organizations always provided a, a tremendous amount of training. And today I feel like that's something that's really missed uh, in corporate America. Um, but, the, you know, the training. So I had uh, a fantastic uh, I wanted to get into electronic sales. So I had a fantastic training in electronics. And then if you look at the leadership side you know, if you think about it, business really tracks pretty closely with uh, military in the way we structure companies and the way we anticipate, you know, leadership to work. And so I learned a lot about leadership. And if you really break it down, you learn about basics like showing up on time, maybe even early, you know, uh, putting in a full day's work, you know, leaning in, taking risks, you know, these are all things that it's not even a question. These are just things you do in the military. So they do carry forward with you then when you when you start entering the career. So that was an interesting statement. You said taking risks in the military. I always think of it as so rigid, you know, like everything's everybody's following orders. What do you mean when you said that? Um, it's true. You're, you're following a lot of structure, but you're doing a lot of things uh, for the first time. And so, you know, if you think about it, you have 22 year old kids that are maneuvering a, a vessel, you know, or that are really running the military, you know, they're, they're, they're the ones that there's so many of them and they have a lot of, uh, a lot of autonomy. So, you know, as a, as a young kid, a young, young adult, uh, you know, what do you know, you know, you have to be able to lean into it and hopefully hope that you've been trained correctly. But it's risky. Yeah, exactly. No, I get it now. And I love that. I love that because especially the risk from the new experiences part. I mean, just leaving family, joining something, learning everything brand new. And so speaking of learning, were you always a technologically savvy person or was that something you learned on the job? Like, how did that come about? So as a a senior in high school, uh, I worked in the career lab and we had a thing called microfiche. Do you remember Microfiche? Oh, no, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm way too young. No, of course. Yes, I do, unfortunately. Well, and if you remember, nobody knew how to operate the Microfiche machine. And so I worked in the career lab, kind of like a librarian, uh, helping people find things and then also teaching them how to, how to maneuver or work with the, the, little, the little machine. And... The career lab was really made up of it, it was all the different types of careers that you could pursue. 
and it showed things like the skill sets and things that you should be, you know, if you're good at this, then maybe this is something you should consider. And, and of course they shared the amount of money you'd make. So I had an entire semester and not many classes came through there. So I spent most of my time looking into, guess what? The job that made the most money. <laughs> so I found my way to electronic sales. Electronics was supposed to be the future at the time and sales was always going to pay more. So I went into electronic sales. Yeah. So, so listen, listen, everyone, listen, you know, I, I've always heard if you're going to sell something, you might as well sell something that's big where you can make a lot of money. See, you know, <laughs> maybe sell, uh, you know, private jets as opposed to ice cream on the corner. You know, you make a little more, a little more in your lifetime. But, you know, it, it is interesting because you then, you know, you get this amazing job with Tyco and, you know, they're a giant, a behemoth. And all of a sudden, you know, out of 500 people, you become the top salesperson. What were the challenges you faced doing that? And how did that come about? Because that's you know, fascinating I, to me. That's not easy it, it, to, to become number one out of all those people. It was, it was I, I, I think if you look back on it, um, what I learned is that I looked at business different than the average person. And it wasn't just about sales for me. And so for me, I put a lot of energy into looking at market markets, market inflections, and trying to have the right product at the right time. Um, but I have uh, just a quick side story. I, I had the opportunity, I had a million dollar opportunity. And for years I got, my, matter of fact, my entire career, I got paid on year over year growth. That was my commission. Or if you think about it, when you get into leadership, that's how you're paid. You get into general management. If you're a CEO, you get paid basically on year over year growth, right? And so for me, I had a $5 million territory and I found a million dollar opportunity. And so I had the opportunity, I was bringing it back and nobody would do anything with it. The product managers kept giving me the Heisman. And anyway, so I had the opportunity to ride with the president of a division, which was a $2 billion division. And I took the opportunity to say, hey, you know, I have this opportunity and nobody will pursue it. And he said, well, what is it and how much is it? And so I tell him about the opportunity and I said, it's a million dollars. And he looked at me and he goes, that's cute. And I said, that's cute. It's a million dollars. He goes, Dale, I have a $2 billion division. He said, we're just looking for bigger opportunities. That was a big moment for me. I learned then that I had to look for bigger opportunities. So I went out and I tried to find the biggest opportunities I could find. And it was for products that we didn't have. And it was in the cell phone market. And so I convinced the company to enter the cell phone market. And a year later, I did $100 million. Yeah, wow. Wow. What, what, what forward thinking? I'm sure they were very happy with you at that time. And, and so, it, but it wasn't just, you know... How did you build those relationships? I mean, talk to me about that because you went out for bigger opportunities, but then how did you cultivate those relationships? Yeah, and, and so when I first started, um, so our, our training, I went to 13 weeks of training for this company. Uh, they put us up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania for 13 weeks. Uh, fantastic training. Then you go to inside sales and then to outside sales. Inside sales was just kind of a continuation of the training. And in inside sales, what I learned was we had all the small accounts. And what I learned was that small accounts only grow. If you think about it, like we covered accounts that were 25,000 or less. 
And if they go out of business, it's not going to really hurt you on a growth point of view because it's only $25,000 or less. But the upside was infinite. I mean, a $25,000 account could, could become a $2 million account. And so I grew my, my business in inside sales 65%. And so then when I went to outside sales, I, I realized that having these small accounts wasn't a bad thing and nobody else wanted them. So I asked for all the small accounts from all of the other salespeople. So there were nine salespeople and they were happy to give them to me. So I had 600, 600 accounts in San Diego of the 2000. And so I really learned a lot by doing that because I, I worked hard and I met a ton of people and I had the opportunity then to, to kind of learn the technology and, you know, it's, it's a repetitive thing, right? How many, how many opportunities do you have to learn? And so anyway, that, that allowed me then to establish these relationships with a lot of people here in San Diego. And then as it turns out, when I started covering uh, Qualcomm in San Diego, a lot of these same people were being recruited by Qualcomm. So I knew everybody. And so, yeah, as far as relationships, very important. And my big thing is, is, you know, the old saying, never eat alone. You know, if you can get somebody out to lunch or go to a coffee, it's a different environment. And so I, I, I do think that that's a key, key piece of sales, but it's not everything. You have to know what to do with them when you get them. And you have to be technically savvy enough to be able to, to handle the situation if it arises. So I, I will admit, I appreciate you saying that. And I'm going to take that to heart personally, because, you know, I travel a lot. I speak all around the world. And a lot of times, you know, because I'm going, 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 you know, it's nice to have a dinner alone. But it is in those moments. It is in those moments when you invite somebody, you learn something new. You're, you know, you're constantly hopefully asking questions and actually listening to the answers. Uh, right. That really, you know, real greatness can happen or connections can be made. So I will take that to heart, Dale, and, and try to invite <laughs> more people to dinner when I'm in towns and and uh and and you know speaking so i appreciate that and and you know it's just an opportunity to grow personally so and you know even if nothing comes out of it just to grow and learn so so when it comes to sales in general what's a mistake you see people making most frequently that prevents them from doing as well as they probably could do if they if they had this sales is a numbers game you know it's a matter of fact i hired my very when i became a sales manager I happened to have hired two salespeople at the same time. One of them was a, a, a supposed superstar. He was a, a MSWE, Masters in Electrical Engineering with an MBA. That was like the, the best combination for what we did. The other kid was a fresh out, out of a state university with a business degree uh, and wasn't very technically savvy. The, the, the second one, I heard from constantly. He called me all the time asking me questions. The first one I never heard from. And I realized what was happening was the second one was hustling and working. And his learning curve was like this because he was getting asked questions and he was smart enough to call and get some answers. And you just learn in the process. The other guy was just skating through, around and not really making his calls and he wasn't learning much. And so to me, it's just a numbers game. It's a number of calls you make, but it's not only the number of calls you make, it's how much you learn in making those calls. So to me, that's, that's, that's probably the most important ingredient. And then, like I say, the second part is, is, and it is relational. If you're making those calls, you're probably learning the product or whatever your offering is. And so you can tell, I used to manage people. I, I've actually managed people my entire career we talk about working remote. I've worked remote my entire career 
I had people on the other side of this earth that I managed and I could tell whether they're working or not or how well they're performing or not just by the amount of inquiries I would get from them. And, and you could look at their numbers and it was always relational. Yeah. See, listen, you, you have to be a good communicator and I, I love, a matter of fact, I'm thinking about all my salespeople with my companies right now. Like, am I hearing from them? You know, how are they <laughs> responding? So I think that, you know, if you're out there and you've got a sales force, you may want to look at who's, you know, who's connecting, who's uh, inquiring, you know, who's asking questions. Was there ever a moment where you felt stuck in your career? Um, or, you know, were you kind of always looking for the next thing? Explain that or talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I I would assume there were times when either I was feeling frustrated or maybe stuck. But from for the most part, I was always looking forward, um, maybe even too far forward. Um, I was always advanced way ahead of maybe even when I should have been um, in every role that I've had. Um, and so I was always I was always more forward looking than I was backwards looking. Um, but I will say, you know, when I first started with with Tyco, um, they had a layoff and it was 10 percent across the board by seniority. LIFO, last in, first out, 10 percent. At that moment in time, we had twenty nine thousand employees. They had to lay off twenty nine hundred employees. My my class of salespeople, the class before, the class before that, they wiped out like three years of people that they had just trained. And fortunately, I had been in the role for about six, eight weeks. They let me go and then they snuck me back in. I was gone for a week. Um, but because of that, I always kind of looked over my shoulder. I always wondered, you know, is it coming? You know, is because it's so out of your control. You could be a rock star and still kind of lose your job. So, so in that regards, I've always felt a little concerned. You know, especially in big companies. Yeah, and especially you know, listen, there's a lot of risk to being an entrepreneur, but the reality is, is that you you know you do control your situation uh, much much better than sitting with a large company like that. And, and it's just a decision that you have to make. It's, you know, we, we all have these decisions in life and, and it's just where you want to be and how secure do you want to be and what kind of risk are you willing to take? Yeah. So, so let's get to kind of later, you know, now you're, you're at Vistage and you're a, a, a chair. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Vistage is like a CEO think tank. It's, it's awesome. It's an amazing organization. I've been able to speak for them you know, for the last like seven years, over 400 times. So I've you know, all around the world. So I get to meet tons of great CEOs and, and great chairs like Dale. So Dale will lead a group like that and help all of these CEOs in their companies and grow their companies. And so what would you say is your edge, so to speak, uh, when it comes to being able to help companies truly grow? Well, I, I think, first of all, I, I love the business model of Vistage and it's, it's not about entirely about the chair. It's the, the idea of a team or a group again, and that's a Navy thing, right? You learn how to leverage your team and work as a team. And so I love the idea that what we do is we put 16 CEOs in a room and the brain power is unbelievable. And so it's not about one person. It doesn't, it's not like consulting where you're relying on one person. You're relying on 16 people who have maybe lived the same experience that you're going through right now, probably did. 
And so to me, that's the success that, that got my attention uh, at Vistage. For, for me, as far as my personal edge, um, I'm just a growth guy. Um, and Vistage had a statistic when I first started, it was the average Vistage member uh, company. So at the time there were 15,000 companies, today we're 25,000. They were outgrowing their peers by three X. And as a growth guy, I wanted to see how they were doing that in a meeting. And I sat through my first meeting uh, and I was floored and I saw it going down. And it was really this group think and this ability to cross pollinate from industries, the knowledge that each other has and sharing it across different industries. So that to me is the, the key ingredient, I think across Vistage. And then for me, it became you know, how do I take it forward? How do I help these these people and these companies accelerate? Yeah, so, and, and even the way, I mean, let me explain to the listeners, because I think this is important for my community to understand, because may, maybe there's different ways that you can do this in your own company. So they create like a board of directors like Atmosphere, and they bring in a speaker most months, right? I mean, most months you yeah. have a speaker, and the speakers yeah. can be on trends, the economy, policy, you know, I speak on leadership and emotional intelligence. So that's how, you know, kind of my role but then in the afternoon, they do this problem solving. And this is what's fascinating to me. They'll state a problem. And, you know, they're, they're non-competing industries. So no, nobody's threatened. They can kind of, you know, what's said in the room stays in the room. They sign non-disclosure. So they can just be so candid. And all of a sudden, they state a problem. Then everyone asks questions around the problem. And then, am I getting this right, Dale? And then, and then all of You're a sudden... nailing it. Yeah. Yes. And, the, and, and then they say... They go around the room and everyone gives all these 15 CEOs give their solution to that problem. Then the CEO that had the problem has to choose a solution they're going to go with a date by when it's going to be done. And then they assign somebody to hold them accountable by that date. I mean, you just, there's power in peers. And a lot of times you just don't get that when you're the CEO or you're the leader of a company because you're kind of the decision maker. And yeah. so, you know, to have somebody holding you accountable to, to get a, a different set of eyes on it, to, to, you know, point things out like, Hey, maybe I shouldn't have hired my brother-in-law to be head of sales. And that's, you know, and now you go back to the brother and they're like, I wanted to keep you. I love you. It's the Vistage group. They're making me fire you. You know, it's, there's some cover, there's some political cover there too, you know, with Vistage. But uh, I just, I love the whole concept of it. And especially as a growth guy. So can you give me an example of, of, you know, you don't have to give me the specific company, but just a company that you've helped grow year over year. You know, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, we we've grown so many companies at this point, and it's been it's for me. It's it it started out where that was really my focus, right? Just because that my whole career was around year to year growth. It's interesting though. Now it, it's it's not as as a big of a focus as really just focusing on the person who becomes a you know these people become good friends of mine, right? And so it's more about helping them have full lives. Right. And letting them be able to understand that they can kind of have it all. It isn't just about the year over year growth, which we can achieve. It's also about being able to get some work life balance. It's also about being able to have a, a great family life. Right. And so I get actually more excited about that these days than just the year over year growth. Right. The year over year growth is mechanical and we can do that. Um, it's just to me, that's a decision. Uh, meaning I've, I've never, People used to always say to me, you know, what kind of growth do you want to achieve? And I'd say, what kind of growth do you want to achieve? Um, we can turn that around and we can back into any growth that we want. We just want it. We have to want it bad enough. 
So growth to me is just a decision point. So, so first of all, thank you for saying that. And I think that that's, that's probably, again, you're right, your success, because believe me, I, I know what you do, and I know that you get companies to grow, so I'm so impressed with that. But I love that you're focusing on the individual, because a lot of people think, you know, you, you've got to be all in all the time to have that kind of success. I do think that, and I talk about it in my speeches, you know, work-life presence, like being where you are and being there fully. When you're happy at home and you're happy at work, like life is just so much better. And I used to believe some of these CEOs when they said they wanted to have more time you know, away at home, but you know, they've got to really want it because otherwise a lot of people get their identity and their, you know, their whole life is revolved around that position at work, their title, um, you know, the power that they have there. And so when you can release them from that and they can actually relax, it's, it's gotta be very powerful and, ex- and rewarding for you to be able to see that in some of these leaders. I spend more of my time trying to pull CEOs out of their business, uh, than anything else. If, and the problem is, you know, it's it. There's a there's a funny comment that says the bottleneck is always at the top, right? And so, it's true though. If if the CEO and especially in these entrepreneurial companies, if the CEO is involved in any aspects of the day to day business, the company is going to going to slow down. If it relies on that CEO tactically for anything, then by default that company is going to slow down. So I spend a tremendous amount of time trying to pull the CEO out of the day-to-day and get them and allow the company and the people around them to actually be able to perform. And when I can do that, you can see the company start to accelerate. And and then the flip side is, of course, the CEO gets his work-life balance back. So, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that right there. So that's going to go into my speeches. I guarantee it. Because I know, I mean, it's true. So when you're relied on at, for anything within your company on a day-to-day, it, it is going to slow the business down. So I'm going to use that. So thanks, Dale. Because I, I just think that a lot of times we need to delegate and we need, and that's what, you know, the neat thing about Vistage is they also have the key groups. So so they'll have CEO groups and then they have a key group, which is like, that would be like the president or the leading person within the company. And why that becomes so important is even the interaction they have with each other to be able yep. to lead. And, and so, so, so often I talk about kind of getting the monkey off your back. There's this whole, there's a, a book written and or it was an article written for Harvard business review on, you know, keeping the monkey off your back. And I always say that the CEO has to give, you know, give the monkeys away, allow other people to work on them. But then the, the person down the line has to, you know, that president has to kind of keep the monkeys pushed off too, so that they can lead. Everyone right. has a job. You have to do your job. And, uh, and the CEO should be the visionary leader, the, whether it's a small company or a large company, like you've got to extract yourself out so that you have time to be the visionary person. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. You use the word delegation and, um, it was interesting. Somebody asked me to, uh, to write an article around delegation and I settled on, it was the wrong word for me. Uh, it, to me, what I settled on was it's about empowerment. And the nuance is, is that I think it's really easy to delegate, but it's really hard to empower people or it's a skill set that has to be kind of honed. And so to me, the nuance is, is that delegation means I'm going to flip it over to you and somehow you're going to be able to do what I ask you to do. Empowerment is one little step further. And this is, this is more of a military thing. And it basically says that if I'm empowering you, I'm allowing you to go make some mistakes 
And when you do, I'm going to have your back. And I think it's, I think it's an important nuance and that, that allows people then to take risks and allows people to do some things that otherwise they would wait for you to do. So it's just, it, it's, I think it's just an important uh, way to look at how to, how to work with your team. Well, fair enough. And I'll probably use empower from here. on out. So <laughs> I appreciate you straighten me out. No, but because I mean, that is truly the way I believe. I mean, I do believe you're empowering people to be their best and, and allowing them, by the way, the ability to fail, succeed, you know, learn from those things, all those things are part of that process, that empowering process. So Thank you for that. I'll, I'll use that. Uh, so, you know, it is clear that you love what you do. And in our discussions, I mean, seriously, you do light up when you talk about these companies and you talk about growth and you talk about individuals. Um, how do you continue to grow and develop as a leader personally? You know, to me, it's about teaching. Uh, so I found that I learn more when I have to teach. And so, um, you know, I, I also do scaling up. So I, I help companies with Vern Harnish's business doing uh, scaling up. And I'm, I'm doing full off day sessions quarterly. And in order to do that, of course, you're preparing uh, for that. I get a lot out of that. I, I really enjoy uh, being able to teach and learn in the process. I, they're learning, but I'm learning, right? When you, when you start preparing as you, as you do, right? When you start preparing for uh, a session, you're reading, you're researching, you're making sure you have your facts right. So I just find that teaching has been a way for me to continue to grow. Well, I don't know what the exact statement is, but you know, if you really want to be an expert in something, teach it, right? Because like you said, right. you, you just have to, you have to be a master of the whole concept or the whole process. And uh so yes, yeah, so everybody out there, if you if I have a chance to teach, even maybe a family member or a fellow employee or a team, I mean th these are valuable experiences that you can really uh, gain um, great knowledge from, and maybe probably excel in your life and your career and everything else you want to be successful in. So what's what's the best advice that you've ever received, and and what's the best advice that you give? You know, my my parents uh, always taught us that you can do anything you want to do. And to me, I, I think I've continued to pursue that and I continue to teach that. And so, you know, and it's interesting, like with my kids, I've always told them that. And there have been occasions throughout their life when they would push back and say, I, I think that was more of your generation. I don't think we have the same opportunities you have. <laughs> right. And, uh, and, but it's interesting. They're both very successful. But if I look at it today, like the way I give back is that what I've learned is that you can achieve anything you want. And, and the thing that I like to do is to 10x something. So like if it's business, um, whatever your number is, multiply it by 10. What I've learned is that we put up incremental numbers. Most companies put up this eight, nine, maybe 10% growth, right? And our teams are so frustrated with us. And why is that? Because they know that all it means is they have to work eight, nine, 10% harder. You're not giving them anything new. But if you put up a 10X number, they know that you have to do something different. And so I, I've done this now with like 200 companies. And what I'll tell you is that probably like 99% of them actually know how to 10X their business. They've never been asked. 
And so, and I think that's true for business. I think it's true for life. I just think you back into whatever it is you want to achieve. And by, by just asking the right question, it, it frames it in your mind differently. So, so everyone listen to that, listen carefully. So, you know, some, I do think we think too small a lot of times. I mean, you know, and this is the value of my kitchen cabinet. My advisors is whenever I talk about something, and by the way, you've done this to me, you know what I mean? Like, Hey, think bigger, think 10 X, you know, and, and so, you know, are you thinking big enough within your company, within the opportunities that you have in your life? And I, I just challenge everyone listening right now to really reevaluate the goals that you're setting, the goals that you're putting, you know, for your family, for your, for your companies, if you own a company, for your teams, if you're running a team and, and really put the pressure or, or, or I, I don't want to say pressure, you know, let these people dream and let them dream big. So they go to bed, you know, foaming at the mouth about it, fantasizing about it, dreaming about it because they know they can be part of it and they can achieve it. Um, so personally, and, and okay, let's get, let's get back. Cause you, you did mention your, your two daughters and, and, you know, you've got kids clearly they've done extremely well and you've got a successful marriage. There's a lot of people out there. There are a lot of people out there listening right now that have kids and they're trying to to balance and be present and all these different things. So how'd you make such great kids? How'd you, how'd, how'd you raise them? Give us the secret sauce. Is there a secret sauce? You know, I, I think we've always just treated them with respect. And since they're pretty young, we were able to have very mature conversations with them and involve them into decision-making and also do a lot of the same things that we're talking about right here, which is allow them to go out and take some risks and make some mistakes and always have their back. And, you know, we, we, you know, there were all the little things that we did along the way, you know, we definitely tried to move into the right area with the right school district. And so we moved across the street from the best high school in, in San Diego. And then, of course, we didn't send them to that school. Instead, we drove them 40 minutes to the private all-girls Catholic school, which they chose. So, you know, but I, I just think it's a, it's a series of, and I think this is life in general. I think it's a series of small decisions that you make throughout your life uh, that form something. And you just hope that you're making more right than wrong. You know, and especially, you know, I've got, I've got two boys and, and a girl and, you know, you, you want to empower them. I mean, to use your word, to make sure that they feel that they can accomplish anything. Uh, you know, it's funny. We have a neighbor and he's extremely successful. And he said something to me the other day. He said, Dan, you know, really hard things take a long time. Impossible things just take a little longer. <laughs> and I just, I, I love that because he said nothing is impossible. He's like, look at me. I'm, you know, I came to this country with nothing and now I have everything and I'm happy and I work hard and, you know, but th- where else can you, you know, there are countries in, in this world where, you know, maybe a caste system where you can't really leave that, you know, where, right. where you are. But here, you know, hopefully uh, we create an environment where everyone has the opportunity to succeed and, and dream big and, and achieve those goals. And and I love that you brought up respect with your kids too, respecting them enough to have deep conversations to allow them to fail. Um, I I do think that's very important to have those discussions and accept failure, accept success, and and treat the like like the Robert Frost poem, if you know, treat those two imposters just the same, success and failure, right? Uh, So, what do you do to recharge? Oh, to recharge. It's interesting. I I I don't I can't sit still very long. So that's not a, that's not really a thing for me. 
vacations for me, even I like to move. Uh, so I'm, I'm very active for business. It's reading, writing, uh, training, creating training, training material and stuff like that. For me, I get excited when I learn new things. Uh, and that's, I, then I can't wait to go share it. Um, so for me, that's, that's my business recharge for, for the family. We spend a tremendous amount of time together as a family. And, uh, you know, I, right now my, my, uh, youngest lives up in San Francisco, but for the longest time, my kids would, even as young, young adults, they would say, they would ask what our agenda is for the weekend first, and then they'd make their plans. Yeah, that's and I always appreciated that. Oh, that's priceless. Are you kidding? That's like every parent's fantasy, you know? Right. You lure them back with food and <laughs> yeah. laundry and money and all kinds of well, things. Well, we always did cool stuff, right? So we would always try to plan on something over the weekend type of thing. And it was like, well, what are you guys doing? And then they would decide what their weekend looked yeah. like, you know? So, and to me, that's a great recharge, spending time with the family, whatever we're doing. But again, we bike a lot as a family. We do a lot of active things as a family, just because, again, I just don't really like sitting around too much. Yeah, you know, it is interesting, and 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 I challenge my listeners to to really do this. But it's nice to have something to look forward to, whether it's a weekend or whether it's a trip, and then how many trips. And I, I challenge when I'm in my speeches to say, like, you know, what is what is an adventure? Is it one a year? Is it two years? Is it ten a year? Like, is it every weekend? You know, and how often are you engaging these people? And so, you know, really think about those things and think about different ways that you can recharge and make sure that you're being your best self. And I, th I think that when you do that and you do it on a regular basis, you're just going to feel better about every part of your life, every aspect of your life. Well, you so, know, that, that, that reminds me of a, a, of a comment and something that I was trained by the founder of my last company. And his comment was, you have to celebrate the small successes. And his comment was, and I think it's relational in what we're talking about here, is that, you know, if you wait for the big success, the big wins, he says, by the time it happens, everybody's frustrated, right? It took too long. It was supposed to happen six months ago, you know, and all the other reasons. There was pressure around, are we going to get it? Aren't we going to get it, right? And his comment was, Cel celebrate the small wins, and I've always taken that to heart and I've seen the benefits of doing that. I think the same is true for the family. I think that it's about the small things that you do together. You know, you can have the big trips and the frustration around the all the, the myriad of things that can go wrong on a big trip, right? Uh, or you can just have fun just going biking in your neighborhood or whatever. So yeah, I, I, think, I think there's something relational there. And it doesn't have to be a giant trip. I mean, it really doesn't. Right. It, like you said, it could just be spending time together watching a movie or, or biking right. or playing beach volleyball on the beach or whatever it is. You know, right. <clears throat> I think that it's interesting. I my, my younger son is going is a senior in high school, and I, I was debating whether I'd bring this up, but I think it's interesting. He's taking a class on the study of death, and he oh. had to write my eulogy. <laughs> he had to plan my funeral and at first i was so i was like whoa 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 calm down calm down i'm not i don't want to go anywhere but it's been a fascinating process dale i mean you know we he was asking me questions like who do you want there what do you want said you know what do you want to happen like and you know my first response was i definitely want a margarita machine at my funeral and there better be some live music and i want you playing guitar justin you playing guitar eric you know corinne playing the mandolin or, you know, the band, you know, whatever she, you know, wants to play. And, and just, I want people singing and celebrating because that's the way I view my life. 
I just want to ask you a question, and I do it in my speeches, so I hope you don't mind, but, you know, I asked this question, how would you want your children to describe you to their children? Because one day that question is going to be asked, you know, mom, dad, what was grandpa Dale really like? What would you want them to say about your life? Um, I, I think in a nutshell for me, it's just simply, he was always there for us. That That's good enough for me. Yeah. And, and, and you know, what's interesting about that. It's not easy, is it? I mean, to be, so for somebody to say you were always there for them in their lifetime. I mean, it takes a lot of time, doesn't it? Well, and I traveled for a living. And so for the la- for about six years, over a six year period, I flew 2 million miles. And I, if you'd asked me, I, I thought that I really had the work-life balance just nailed. And when I was looking at, we got our company public and I was looking at different opportunities and every opportunity looked very similar. And we decided to share it with my kids that we were, I was going to leave my company. And when I, when I told my, my kids, my youngest said, good. And I said, good. Why do you say that? And she said, I hate that company. And I said, well, and, and she wasn't hearing it for me. I love my company. I loved what I did. I loved the technology. I loved the people. I loved everything about it. I said, why do you say that? And she says, because you're never home. Wow. And that Ooh. broke my heart. Wow. Of course it would. Are you kidding? How, how old was she about? The, when, about? She was like in middle school. Okay. Yeah. And uh, what was interesting was before that period of time, six years earlier, and if you look at how old she was at that point, I was... I had a local sales management role. I was able to be the coach of this and the coach of that. They didn't remember any of it. <laughs> hey, we have very selective <laughs> memories. I'm like, come on, what about that? You know, and they don't, they don't recall it. So anyway, yeah, I, I, to me, that's something that's always a struggle is, is being able to be there. Uh, and it was really a good lesson for me. It was a good, it was a good awakening for me. Now, for, for those people out there, those, and, and let's just be really candid, you know, who, who have to work and then they, you know, don't have those options. You know, I, I would always say, first, you, you may have options. You've just got to go get it. But, but then also in the meantime, though, I, I go back to my work-life presence where, you know, if you only have an hour or two in the evening, if you are truly engaged with those people around you, I mean, like really engaged, like phone down, TV off, and, you know, playing games, asking questions, throwing a ball back and forth. I just think that's more than what most adults do these days in a week. And so I just challenge you to be very present with your family and to, and to be a good listener and to, and to have great conversations. And, and, and it it can really take a lot of the pressure off of you. Cause I mean, I, I, most of us have to work last time I checked, there's not a lot of trust funds, you know, not, not everybody has a trust fund where they can just skate through life, uh, without having to work. But, um, it's, I think it's a t- what you do with that time that you do have. And so I just challenge you to do that. So Dale, do you have any last words for our listeners before we go here? You know, my, my big thing is, is don't dwell on issues, dwell on opportunities. And, you know, you can't save your way to success is what someone once taught me. And so to me, you know, you got to put the best people you can around you and then not be afraid to take, take risks. And, you know, if I look back on it, I think there are times when I didn't take enough risks, I could have taken more. Um, I think everybody takes risks according to what they're comfortable with at that moment. And that's fair. Um, But I will say that that's the big thing that I've really been working on is trying to spend more time working on opportunities rather than working on issues. I think it gives us uh, more freedom. I think it's more fun. 
um, it's less stressful, and you'll move ahead much quicker. Wow, there you go. Great last parting words. Focus on opportunities, not issues. Uh, Dale, look, you again, I'm a huge fan. I mean, consider you part of my kitchen cabinet. Love talking to you. Uh, love hearing about your family, all your success, and, and love watching you grow businesses. So thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us today and uh, give us some of your words of wisdom and letting me pick your brain. Uh, you are an inspiration to so many, I'm sure. Uh, I hope you got some great takeaways for your business and personal life and feel inspired to take on the challenges to create your future, and I mean your future, the one that you want. I'm Dan Quiggle. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Garage to Goliath. Please share this podcast with your family, friends, and network. Dale, thank you so much for being here today. It is truly appreciated. Thanks, Dan. Really appreciate it. Great seeing you. Also, please rate, review, and subscribe to this leadership podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Your feedback helps us improve and also gets the message out to more listeners around the world. To rate, review, and subscribe, please visit quigglegroup.com forward slash iTunes. Thank you for listening to Garage to Glide. I'm Dan Quiggle, joined today by Dale Robinette. Lead well.